Pizza? Pizza? Pizza! Hungry for some pizza now? Yeah, that's what we thought. Get yours at Domino's Hawaii. We deliver aloha. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. with Steph, Noli, and Brooke here. Guys, I'm super excited this evening to have, to be able to sit down and talk story with the girly that got, the girly that we have with us today. Um, yes, her name so. is Simone Park. She is a comedian, a bunch of things. I'm going to tell you guys some of it because there's this super awesome background that I want to share Simone is a self-described Jill of all trades, um, and from what I can tell, a master of more than a few of them. Um, her career is extremely dynamic, like I said, includes 10 countries and counting, has involved international branding and marketing and advertising, real estate, management consulting, um, nonprofit work, and fundraising that literally has aided and funded the rescue of North Korean refugees. That's like real impactful work. Um, she is um, originally from Toronto, Canada, and just under five years ago, worked up the courage, this is her words, to disappoint her Asian parents to pursue a career in stand-up comedy. <laughs> she has accomplished things like beating out over 20 comedians across North America to place top three and was the only female finalist on the show Next Best Comic. She, she's yeah. performed in six countries and shared the stage with comics like Jerry Seinfeld. So we know that name, girls, mm -hmm. um, to name just, a few, just one of them. Mm -hmm. And she eventually found her way here. In 2020, she was at the Aloha Comedy Festival and has been in Hawaii ever since. There's so much more, you guys, that I want to share, but I really want Simone to go into detail about all the different facets of her life and her career in comedy. Um, representing some Asian women. So mm -hmm. welcome, mm -hmm. Simone. Thank yeah. you. Welcome, Simone. Simone. Thank you for being with us. Woo. What a list. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's it's an honor, truly. Wow. You know, and then Brooke really didn't mince words when she said that you, I mean, gosh, I mean, you've been to so many different places in such a short time too, because you said that you had a fear of staying in one place for three months. So that's why you traveled so much. Like explain this fear and how that all developed. Yes. Well, um, I actually took a year off of my life. I kind of had this awakening. I was with the perfect guy. We had the perfect life. Everybody looked at us and they were like, wow, that is the coolest couple. We want their life. So on paper, it was everything. But in reality, I was like dead inside. I was like, this is not the guy but I'm at that age, I should have kids, I should get married. And so I just woke up and I was like, I don't even know who I am. I don't know what I like. 
So I left that relationship in a very, I just moved my stuff out. <laughs> I was like, five years, no big deal. Hey, okay, you're going to go home. I'm no longer there. It was a bad way. I'll admit that. Sorry, sorry, X. Um, but I needed to do it because I really didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I liked. So I set off on this journey, kind of like eat, pray, love, but the uh, Asian version, I guess. And I gave myself 2015 off. I had saved enough money. I had done well enough. I said, you're going to take the whole year. You're going to do whatever you want. Travel wherever you need to. Do what, like spiritual, hippie, whatever. Go do it. And so I did. I had an amazing year, a lot of growth, a lot of getting out of my comfort zone and doing crazy things that I never would have considered. But my motto for that year was, what is the better story? Whichever avenue would take me down the road that led to the better story, I was just going to do it. And everything's going great. I went to California for the first time. And then the second time and the third time I wound up staying. And one day um, I'm just walking down the street, minding my own business. And a man just came up behind me and, um, you know, pulled my hair until I was down on my knees and stuck a gun in my face. Yeah. Um, so I think he wanted to rob me. I don't think it was like a rape situation. I think he wanted to rob me. And um, I just wasn't, I wasn't in the mood. Um, <laughs> I wasn't in the mood for that. Uh, it was extremely terrifying because being from Canada, um, we don't really have guns. So, you know, long story short, he's punching me. He's pistol whipping me. He knocks me down to the ground. Um, and my inner voice yelled, if you don't fight back, this man is going to kill you. You are going to die. So I got up and I was very scrappy when I was a teenager. So I used to box. Um, I've probably tried the beginner course of every martial art. And so I got up and I fought for my life. I started throwing punches back at him. And after a little while, I mean, it seemed like it was forever that we were fighting. It was probably just, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. And I'm exhausted. I have very little left in the tank. So I just threw one last punch. I gave it everything I had to try and save my life. And I threw that punch. And then my middle finger just went down and snatched that guy's chain. So he didn't get anything from me. And I actually robbed him in, if you know hip hop culture, that is like the rudest way. Snatching someone's chain is like the major disrespect with just my middle finger. Um, so I thought that I was super, you know, I was okay. I, you know, even um, Vietnam war veterans that were my friend's parents, they'd say, sweetie, you have PTSD. I say, nah, no, not me. I fought him. I robbed him. Look at this story. It's so great. But I didn't realize that I, I did have PTSD. There was a lot of trauma. And so I didn't realize until I came to Hawaii and I was able to heal that I didn't stay in any place longer than three months because I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified for my life. I didn't want anyone to know where I was going to be. And so it actually made it quite difficult to have a relationship because anytime I would like meet somebody, it was like, well, I'm moving to Colombia in uh, three days. So, 
yeah, so that was uh, kind of, Hawaii is the first time I've stayed anywhere longer than three or four months since the end of 2014. Wow. And there's a good reason why? <laughs> Honestly, it's um, actually, I owe all of this to COVID. I owe it to the pandemic. Thank you so much. Um, I came here avoiding Canadian winter as I do, baby snowbird. And it was the Lo Aloha Comedy Festival, the first ever Aloha Comedy Festival. This was February, 2020. <laughs> So I'm here, it's February, 2020, doing comedy, having a great time. And then COVID hits. So I'm faced with everyone in Canada is like, we're all gonna die, come back, get your healthcare. Like, what are you doing? Get out of the United States now. And you know, nobody knew what it was. We remember 20, like February, March, 2020, wow. like nobody knew what it was. I used to disinfect my gross. I had, I didn't have a clue. Nobody knew what it was, but I decided that I was going to stay. And I, I figured the big Island was actually going to be the, one of the safest places in the world with whatever the heck was going on. So I moved to an area of the Big Island that I had never been to in my life, the Hilo side. And when I say I was isolated, I probably saw one to two human beings total over the course of seven weeks. I was north of Hilo on two acres of land without a car. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But during that time, um, after I had watched all of Netflix, <laughs> um, I had nothing left to do but go within and heal and take a look at my life and there was actually a very traumatic event that I had no idea had happened um, I guess because it was so traumatic to me in my life and um, you know I just think I think the Big Island is one of the most healing places in the world I don't know if it's because the volcano just makes it new I don't know what it is, but there is a certain energy there that just feels like it is anything that comes your way, you can you can handle it. Like it's like the Ina is just like, come here. And it's like, you're just in this little, you know, safe compartment. And so I, I did that and I did this, you know, a lot of meditation and inner child work. And it was revealed to me that I had been raped when I was four. Oh, oh. yeah yeah and it's funny well it's not funny there's nothing funny about that at all actually I was a really hot four-year-old no I'm sorry this is inappropriate this is not okay <laughs> nothing about that is okay but um you know as a comedian I think it's just when when traumatic things or uncomfortable things it's like automatically I'm just like how do we make a joke out of it how do we take the trauma out of it so you know experiencing that strangely was what drew me back to Hawaii because, you know, little, little glimpses, little things, my life was taking me back there to have this revealed to me since 2015, since I took that year off to learn about myself and, and figure out what I liked and who I was. It would take me back to that apartment complex where we lived or just, I would get these flashes of, of where we lived at that time. And I didn't, I never could fully go there. Um, so I think that was just, you know, this is the first time that I truly felt safe. 
maybe in my whole life, but definitely since that time. So I don't take that for granted for one day. I'm incredibly grateful because when, when you have things that happen and you just, it's so painful and it's so gross and you just, you force it down mm-hmm. and you say, nope, it didn't happen. If I don't see it, it's not real. Um, that, that turns into disease. You know, it, it, it turns into cancer or, or it just, it, it's never released. And so we just keep pushing it down and we wonder why, you know, we don't feel good or things can't happen the way we want. So I am so grateful that the pandemic happened. I moved to the big island. I was isolated for so long and that I had no other choice but to face my inner demons and to go within and to be able to release this to the world. So, and now I put it on stage. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that, that's actually the birth of your, your, you know, your new career, because I mean, you also have a law background, um, you know, you're a lawyer as well, right? But no, you I'm don't. actually Simone Park, not an attorney. I'm a consultant for the law firm here. I see. Okay. Yeah. You have a legal background, but you're not a lawyer. <laughs> I actually don't have a legal background. Just uh, me thinking that I can judge other people. <laughs> so would you say that your um, stand-up and being in stand-up, you, you are more drawn to it because it also allows you to, you know, have a another outlet and kind of it's therapeutic for you as well? It is incredibly therapeutic. And um, I always say it's like, do you guys golf? Do any of you guys golf? Not well. Try to, yeah. Okay, this is going to be a terrible analogy. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's not actually about hitting the ball hard at all. And so when I first started golfing, I would want to hit the ball so hard so the ball would go so far but it's actually not about that if you hit it correctly there's a certain noise and it just you don't even have to hit it hard if you hit it the right way it will soar straighter and further than you could ever possibly imagine and I think that is the same way for comedy because oftentimes it's not the jokes that you've spent years crafting, thinking of every pause, every, okay, stop for joke, uh, and then inflection here, like you do it so many times to get it perfectly right, but it could be there's some guy in the audience and he says something and then your response to that is so, you know, sarcastic. And that's the part that the audience loves the most. And, you know, when you're in your flow, um, it's, it's like you black out. It's like you don't like oftentimes I've gotten off stage and they're like, oh my gosh, oh that thing when you said this. And I was like, I said that. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's funny that, you know, having the greatest time in your life on stage can be like getting um date rape drugged because you just don't remember a thing. No, I'm kidding too far. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> know your audience, right? You gotta talk the water. <laughs> Oh man, oh, that is wow. being on stage takes a lot of guts. So yeah. that's that's props. But that, I can also see how it could give you an adrenaline rush at the same time. Definitely, definitely, there is a certain 
undescribable feeling because you never know. You're never going to get the same audience. You're never going to, nothing is going to be the same every single time. And that's what I love about stand up. It's, you never know what you're going to get. And you never know the people in the audience or how you're feeling that day. Or, you know, there's just so many different factors that have to come together to have the best performance of your life. So it's always like a little bit of a crapshoot. You, it's always that um, sense of uncertainty. And I think that's one of the things that I love about it. Did you have a mentor or who did you learn um, from? You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of people along the path who have been very gracious. Um, my, my comedy teacher, her name is Judy Kroon. Um, and I think, you know, when I signed up, I was really hoping that I would get another woman because in comedy, it's, it's not always a hundred percent cut and dry by no means. You know, there are men that know that women are funny and vice versa and jokes can translate. But typically speaking, I find that women tend to resonate with my material, especially Asian women tend to really understand my point of view, my personal experience, because, right? You just, oh, yeah, that's happened to me. Asian culture, parents, parenting, parenting, right? A thousand percent. It's more relatable. So, you know, people like Jerry Seinfeld, he goes for the very re- transportation, right? <laughs> taking the bus, even though he probably never takes the bus, but, you know, getting around town, take, right? So he generalizes it to appeal to everyone. Everyone has to get in a car, take a taxi, take an Uber, go on the subway, right? Everyone needs to get around. Um, So I'm not, I generally don't do that because I am Simone Park. This is my experience and that's what I'm sharing. So some people may look at me and say, oh, that's funny because look at how she's moving. Look at the things that she's saying. Yeah, that's funny. But some people will say, be able to take that on a deeper level and say, oh my gosh, that's actually happened to me. So I, you know, so it's, it's interesting to see, but usually the people who will come up to me after a show and say, listen, that really touched me or affected me on a deeper level nine times out of 10, it's going to be an Asian woman. Yeah. Wow. So Simone, how did you, can you talk about how you got the courage to like tell your parents, I I want to do this. And then to sign up for that class, like what, what drew you to comedy and how did you communicate that to your parents? Um, let's see. So the first time I accidentally tried an open mic, um, I was actually on a date with a comedian. This was in LA. Yeah, I went on a date with a comedian. He took me to an open mic. I had never been to an open mic. I didn't know what an open mic was. And I remember there was four ex-military getting up, speaking about their time in Southeast Asia and brothels in Southeast Asia. And I was highly offended. I did not like it. I did not find it funny. And so after maybe the second or third guy, I started saying, those women didn't choose that life. And I would just say, you know, no, whoa, (laughs) just ridiculous. And my friend, the the guy that I was on the date with, he was like, what are you doing? Like you are, 
these are comedians. They are trying their jokes. You are heckling them. I said, oh, oh. And so I'm Canadian. So I had to apologize. So I put my name, I put my name on the list. And my first thing was like, hi guys, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I didn't know this was an open mic gay. Um, and then I just started, you know, telling the story about how was, um, the guy tried to kill me at gunpoint it was not that funny. It, uh, no, I don't think it was that funny. Um, so fast forward, I didn't do comedy. I guess I didn't go on any dates with uh, any comedians after that. And um, it was actually in South America that I wanted to try comedy. So um, I gave this talk in Florida the day after Donald Trump was elected and I decided like something just came out of me and it was like you're not going to tell your speech you're going to you're going to tell your experience around racism and so I'd spoken in front of maybe 50 people at this time and I don't know what came over me but it was like just peace confidence and this is what you need to do you need to get in front of 1500 people for the first time in your life from all over the world. And you're gonna talk about these three things, your experience with racism. I said, okay, I understand the assignment. I got up there. I was wearing a dress that was like four sizes too small. Cause that's all I had. So I was like sausaged into this dress <laughs> in these high heels clomping around like an elephant. And I just, I said those three stories and it was from my heart and it was not perfect. I still to this day cannot listen to that talk because I'm like ah that seems grammatically incorrect like I can't I don't ever listen to my stuff um but I wound up winning the best speaker of that event there was a gentleman who approached me after that talk and he wanted to run for president of Honduras and he said can you help me and so whenever something like that happens I always wonder what if he's the bad guy mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and I figured I'll never know if I don't no Spanish. So I asked a friend, she's a, a language teacher in Canada um, and she speaks like six languages. So she said, if you hear, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna watch telenovelas. Like, like watch, like you were gonna get invested. You are gonna care what happens to these people. So I, okay. So I watched two and these episodes are like 90 minutes long. There's like 90 episodes. It was a whole, it was a, it was a job, but I watched two Colombian telenovelas. I took a consulting gig for this company. They were going to send me to Colombia and send me to Argentina. And so I get to Colombia and I'm kind of the, um, the person managing a bunch of different digital nomads that are coming from all over the world. And so I'm dealing with the Colombian people that we're working with on the ground and I'm speaking Spanish, but it's telenovela Spanish. <laughs> so I was like, hola. <laughs> Como ta? Por qué? And they're like, oh, she Asian, but what? And so they thought it was hilarious. So anywhere I went in Colombia, you know, I was like, no, por qué? And they're just like, so they started laughing. Everybody is laughing. I have every, I have all of Medellin in stitches. 
And I'm like, yeah, this is, this feels good. Yeah, I like this. Mm -hmm. So I started learning some of their like particular slang for that region. And it was like every day was just doing stand up with every Colombian person that I came across. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. And they were eating it up. So I went to Argentina, not as nice of a time. They're actually quite racist to Asian people. Um, <laughs> and there was an English speaking, the only English speaking um, comedy show in South America. And so I didn't want to go and watch it. I just wanted to go and like give her a go. Um, I never actually made it. So I went back to Toronto and I signed up for uh, Stand Up Level One. I got Judy Kroon as my teacher. She has been so incredible. She has taken me along. We've done so many charity fundraisers. I've gotten to perform with all of the like female greats in Canada. And this never, ever, ever would have happened if I didn't get her as my teacher. So she's definitely someone who has been in my court. Um, but even, you know, when I, when I go to Gotham in, in Manhattan, um, the booker there, Andy, you know, he would hear things like my story um, at gunpoint. And he would really encourage me and say, you, you have to, you have to talk about that because nobody else has that experience. And so I've tried, but I was, I hadn't healed from it yet. So it's only now in Hawaii that I've like lived here and that I feel safe for the first time. Now I'm starting to like use that as part of my material. So I know that I'm like, I'm really crossing going over the hill of actually healing from that incident to be able to speak about it on stage and, and how was your when you talked to your parents like you got back from is it after south america and you got back and you're like hey mom and dad i don't remember exactly when it was but my so i have two older sisters and my oldest sister josephine was pregnant with her first child so she has this baby and in the korean culture in, the first birthday is a big, big deal. I think it's called the toll birthday. And that's because back in the day, children didn't make it past mm -hmm. one often. So um, she's having this big birthday and she says, Simone, I would be so honored if you could do comedy at my baby's first birthday. I said, you are going to regret this. Um, but I said, okay. And of course my parents were gonna be there um, and some other Korean, you know, friends, and then her husband is French Canadian. So there was like the white side of the family and the Asian mm -hmm. side. So I think that was the first time that my parents were understanding that this is something that she does now. Um, so I did it. I, I, I did stand up comedy for my first niece for her first birthday. And actually, my that was the first time ever in my life that my mother said she was proud of me. Oh. Yeah. And then she kind of roasted me and she said, no more potatoes. No, put that, put that down, <laughs> honey. <laughs> and a little fat. Um, <laughs> and then she roasted me again. Um, so in the told birthday for Korean people, they'll put all these items down in front of the baby. So there'll be like a stethoscope. Mm -hmm. um, there'll be like a gavel for a judge or a pen to be a writer and a musical instrument. Um, and, and then they, they put it in front of the baby and then the baby will crawl and whatever the baby touches is going to be their vocation. So there's all these items. Um, and so the baby is like, okay, what? <laughs> so 
my niece and she's such a she's such a good girl and she goes and she's like okay doctor and all the Asians are like yeah and she's like okay <laughs> and artists ah! right <laughs> so she winds up choosing the drumsticks yeah to be a musician yeah <laughs> the white family overjoyed just <laughs> so happy they could not be happier the Asians are just like Ahem. Ahem. and then my mother she says to me so when are you gonna go choose and get a career oh. <laughs> roast master my mother apparently <laughs> but honestly like oh. just to hear that um you know she was like yeah I'm proud of you that was enough because that was honestly yeah. probably the first and only time that I've heard that come out of my mother's mouth. So I was happy. I, I took it, put it in my pocket for later. It's right there. <laughs> Would you say, Simone, that your your family, your mom and dad and your sisters, as as you were growing up, thought you were kind of funny? Or do they just like, oh, Simone, how hmm. are they to you? Um, you know, I think actually my, the sister up the middle child was actually the funniest. And I was always trying to kind of mimic her and, you know, whatever she was doing, I wanted to do. So out of the three of us, I think if anything, she was probably considered the funny one. So, but then she became a doctor because, you know, one of us had to take it there. So yeah, my family was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, she was very, very, very funny. And oh. I always wanted to be, you know, like both of my sisters. So, um, cool. but yeah, but I would always copy her and mimic her. And, you know, there's nothing quite like making other people laugh. It's, it's a, to me, it's a beautiful thing. And it is a rush of endorphins. And it's like, ha, ha, ha give me more. Ha, ha. Yeah. What would you say, uh, Simone, something that you could share to our listeners about your the, the takeaway, main takeaways from your absolute crazy journey. I mean, throughout your life, what, what have you drawn from it that is very valuable that you would like to, I guess, spread awareness and, and open the eyes of, of those people listening right now? I would say, trust yourself be kind to yourself and know that no matter what is thrown your way, whether you believe in God, source, universe, I don't care what name you put to it, God will never throw you anything that you can't handle. So just trust that this is making you stronger and this is preparing you for something great in your life, even though it's very hard, very hard to see at that time a thousand percent, but just know that there's something on the other side of that, that will be for your benefit. If you can learn the lesson. Are you spiritual? I would say that I've become very spiritual throughout this process. And actually from the gunpoint story, you know, to look back, honestly, it's like something stepped into my shoes and was speaking on my behalf or just, it's, it's crazy to think back, um, you know, as this is happening and it's probably happening in 30 seconds, but I remember my brain was going through scenarios and looking through 
every piece of my life, every waking experience and probably dormant. And it's like, what do we know that she's done in her life that can help her in this very moment? And I swear to you that renewed my faith. I know that I have guardian angels. I know that there was something that said, it is not her time to die today. So we are going to help her. So that has renewed something in me for sure. Um, you know, I was raised in a very strict Christian household and um, it's a very certain type of Christianity that my mother would try to force feed down me. And, you know, I, I do believe in a higher power and I do call it God, but not, you know, my mother is in the faction where it's like, well, the Bible says that gay people are wrong and this is not good. And then the women are here. And it's like, to me, God is all loving. So God would never create something to hate. That just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me at all. So yeah, I just, I have my own beliefs and I, I do believe that there is something higher, like a higher power that is guiding us. And, you know, if it ever came true for me, it was in that moment where I thought, this might be the end. I, I might die. Oh, well, so with that said, I mean, because it seems like, uh, you know, just from our entire conversation about your life, it seems like, you know, you're just running away from those fears after that traumatic incident. Now you finally established a place where you feel very safe and you're kind of, it's a new beginning for you, a new chapter. You're blossoming with your new, newfound passion, which is stand up comedy. So, what is your goal right now? Are you already looking ahead? and planning? Yes. So um, previously, I, you know, as a Canadian, I have to be here on a work visa. So I'm currently, I work for a law firm, um, a great law firm. But that's to me, like big girl job is like, what my parent, okay, she's not an attorney, but she works for a law firm, they can still feel proud about that. But I always wonder, imagine what if I could do, what if I fully 100% of the time was doing my art, doing stand-up, performing, acting, writing a book. I want to write and publish a book before my 40th birthday. So I am going to, I've started making the steps to petition for myself to stay here as an artist and be able to do that full-time, which is incredibly scary. And I've done some very scary things in my life, but actually standing up for myself and saying, this is what brings you to life. This is what makes you feel truly alive. You have to try, you, you have to try. You cannot leave this earth never having tried and having the courage to just go after something that feels so good. I want that golf ball hitting, making the, I, I, want, I want that, I want the blacking out on stage where I'm like, wait, did I say that? Okay, people love that. I want that all the time. And my hope is that, you know, through me exposing, because as we know, Asian people, we don't air our dirty laundry, right? You don't do that, especially in a place like Hawaii, where it's so small, you don't necessarily want to expose all the things that have happened to you. I'll be that Asian. I will say, this is all the dirty stuff. Here it is. But guess what? When I do that, no one can try to blackmail me. Oh, we're going to tell them. I already did five times on stage last week. What are you gonna do? You, none of this is holding me down. 
There's no fear behind, oh my God, but what if people know? I'll tell it. I'll tell it first. Because then I get to say my sorry side of the story. So you said you want to publish a book before your 40th birthday. How old are you now? I am 39 and then some. <laughs> All right, man. That that deadline is it's coming up soon. Yep. Yep. All right. Oh, really exciting. It's so awesome to be talking with you and, um, you know, to gain some insight and awareness about how people can deal with the situations that they're dealing with based on what you shared with us. I mean, that's really deep, you know, what you've been through and for you to have the courage to, to finally stand up on stage and share that. That's awesome. And it's awesome that you're making people laugh and also helping them by sharing your experiences. I mean, that's kind of a, an eye-opener for a lot of folks who aren't expecting that. So that's, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Simone. Of course, thank you. And as Asians, right, it's so hard for us to do that. You do that for us, like you said, you, you're empowering the generations after us, ourselves even, and the rejuvenation you feel. I just got you rejuvenated this podcast, like talking to you and just listening to your story and um, your courage, your courage through, through everything and putting yourself out there in a positive way. Love it. Don't stop, Aww. Simone. You're Thank awesome. You. <laughs> uh, and I, for me, it's like the takeaways from this conversation and from the last one we had, Simone, is just, I, it's, it's ironic, right? Because, because of that gunpoint situation that what you're doing now is like having the courage to just disarm everyone else by, I'm going to tell my story first. I'm going to disarm you so that, and that's, that makes so much sense and to normalize the different types of traumas or just life happenings for other people to then be like, oh, oh, it's okay to talk about it, right? Because she, she survived it and she, she talked about it and still survived talking about it and no one, nothing happened to her. You know, just that's super important. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say was just another takeaway is just that if you're hearing your story so far, because there's going to be so much more like awesome cool things that I know you're going to do but it's the hearing you say that you the place you found freedom was when you had the time to pause and go within and that was the most free you felt rather than just trying to travel physically and go here or go here and that's interesting right that the way to freedom truly is getting working with all the inner work and getting all that done you know and it's a it's a journey it's going to be forever we're all going to have to do it but Truly, I really believe that that's where the freedom is, is when you can trust yourself, be with yourself, and then also accept it, right? Mm -hmm. So I know we could talk forever and ever. There's so many more things, but I'm so grateful that you took the time um, to chat with us. We also like to end, if you have, you've said so many great things, but if you have a quote or a model that you like to live by now, you want to share with us and the listeners, Yes, I would say always be a first rate version of yourself and not a second rate version of someone else. That's by Judy Garland. You know, so many times, especially kids today, it's like we're trying to be this thing that other people say, we got to look this way, we got to act this way, we got to do this, we got to do that. Nah, mm -mm. stand out, be different. I think normal is so boring truthfully. So it's like, if you're weird, go present your weirdness and be proud. Own it. Be who you are because there's only one of you. Don't be in someone else's shadow trying to copy all these other, 
I don't know if you guys seen TikTok. I'm going to sound so old. I don't know if you've seen TikTok is literally everybody's doing the exact same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like, brah, do, what? Just do something different. Be yourself and be proud of that. Own it. Own it. Where can we see you next? Where can we see you next? Um, well, I'm actually going to be doing my show on Maui. So first time performing on Maui, uh, March 18th. And then I'm talking to the Big Island, which is like where all the growth happened in, a in April. Um, but I will be back at the Blue Note in May and in June. And hopefully forevermore. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Do you have a website or is it just your Instagram that people should head to? Probably Instagram. I am very bad at the, like, I know that I should probably be on TikTok, even though I'm like, what are these whippersnappers doing over there? <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of things that I could be doing a website definitely, but I just, I, it's hard for me to speak mm -hmm. about myself and I definitely can't do that. I don't know. Okay, coders, this is, um, this is apparently what you do. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, don't let the Asian fool you. I'm not that young and I'm not like, okay, time to do this. And we're going to post it on everything. No, I don't know how to do that. So Instagram's probably the best place. It's just at spark the power. So S park, Simone park, spark the power. Cause I think we are our own catalyst. We can spark the power within. Mm -hmm. And on well, word travels oh, fast. I mean, you know, um, especially with that comedy show that um, just happened recently. You know, word travels fast, so I'm sure we're going to hear about it um, with or without Instagram. But Simone Park, thank you again for joining us. I mean, this was such a great, awesome, awesome, awesome conversation that we had. And Brooke is right; we could go on forever. But we look forward to hearing more great things about you. And best of luck with your goals as well. Thank you guys so much. I'm so grateful to you guys. And it was wonderful to meet you all. Yeah. All right, everybody, you know where to find her and take some time to laugh, take some time to accept and be with yourself and spark the power. That's what this is all about. Woohoo! Yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank thanks, you, guys. Simone. Thank, Thank you, guys. Mahalo. Yes, we're going to.